The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Well, that is good news, isn't it? That we just sang. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 29. We're going through the Psalms in our morning uh, weekly men's group and hit Psalm 29, and it just stood out to me. I wanted to share some thoughts from it with you this morning. You know, um, I think I've shared that I've allowed Big Brother into my home through Alexa. And uh, we actually even have one of those, I think it's called Alexa Show. It's a screen. And, uh, you know, you can put pictures up and it'll, it'll bring advertise, ad, advertisements or different things into your on the screen, and I noticed the other day, up popped up on the screen, good news. And as a Christian, I'm thinking, hey, I'm not expecting anything from Alexa. And then it says, you know, try this. Uh, ask Alexa, Alexa, tell me some good news. So, Alexa, tell me some good news. And um, I'm going to give you better news than what Alexa gave. Alexa, the best Alexa could do was tell me about some guy who set a Guinness Book uh, world record for blowing the largest amount of bubbles inside of a bubble. That was the good news. Some guy in Pakistan or something broke his own world record, because I don't think anybody else would do this, but 738 bubbles inside of a bubble. Think about that. Yeah. Ooh, good news. Okay, are you ready for some real good news? God is sovereign. God is on the throne. There are so many concerns and really hard things that have happened in the last few days in the life of our church family. And there's hope in Christ. God is on the throne. So let's, let's look to Psalm 29, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The, vo- the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oaks to shake and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry, Glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh Lord, may our confidence in you be strengthened. Give us 
this strength of faith. And as we look to you and hope in you and trust you in the midst of the flood, we thank you for the peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Peace that you are perfect in knowledge and wisdom and strength. Peace that you have ordained all things for your glory and our good. Oh Lord, you are good. And even though circumstances are frustrating and scary and disheartening, we know that you promise to withhold no good thing from us. Help us to know deep within our souls that you are in control and you know best how to work for our good. And Lord, we confess that it's confusing. It's confusing for us to see how much turmoil and change is going on within our society, how this can be good. Will we face persecution? Will your church in America be refined by fire? Will you bring about revival and change? Is this your just judgment upon us? Oh, Lord, give us strength. Bless us with peace in uncertain times. Lord, how can abortion go on? Why have you allowed this to continue? And, of course, the blame is not with you. And though confused over how long it's gone on, we continue to ask for your intervention. Forgive our apathy. Forgive us for growing numb to this holocaust that we remember today. As we pray over more than 60 million killed in the name of freedom of choice. Oh, the arrogance and sin. To destroy what is made in your image, what is precious to you and more valuable than any other part of your creation. We remember this sin and affront to you and trust in your perfect mercy, in your justice. We look to your grace and forgiveness at the cross. And that you also see all things and will justly deal with every sin. Lord, we know that all have sinned and fall short of your glory. And that you show mercy to whom you show mercy. And we praise you for the sacrificial death of Jesus. The removal of wrath for all who trust in him. Thank you for your grace. Help us to point others to this wonderful gift. Lord, we acknowledge the pain and suffering of those who have participated in this evil. And we ask for your healing, that they might know your forgiveness, your saving grace. You are worthy of all glory. You are worthy of our worship. Worship in our singing, worship in our financial gifts, 
in hearing and submitting to your word, of the sacrifice of our lives lived for you. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us strength from your word and reassuring peace in the knowledge of your sovereign care. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Psalm 29 speaks of a storm. And the storm is not the circumstances of life. Don't see this storm as Roe v. Wade or the political turmoil of our day. This storm is not your suffering. It's not COVID or governmental control or society that disregards truth. It's not immorality. It's not socialism. It's not any circumstance of life that troubles you. The picture in this psalm is not a storm of life's circumstances where Jesus stands up in the boat and says, peace, be still. And the storm is calmed. No, the storm in the psalm is his voice. That is the storm. It's his voice that brings destruction Destruction to false gods, to the idols in which people trust. And at the end of the psalm, we see the result, the blessing of strength and peace to his people. There is strength of faith and peace of heart when we realize that God is sovereign. When we realize that he sits enthroned over the flood. That he is king forever. And as we ascribe to him the glory due his name. The solution here in Psalm 29 is not the removal of the storm. But the removal of our false assurances. And God destroys them. He blows away the things in which people hope. He does so to make it obvious that he alone is worthy of our trust, our satisfaction, our confidence. We, or he wipes out false gods, idols, making it really clear that he alone is worthy of our praise. This psalm begins with, ascribe to the Lord. In other words, attribute to the Lord. Give credit to the Lord, O heavenly beings. O heavenly beings. Or more literally, the sons of gods. David says of them, give the Lord the credit that he is due. What David has in mind are the pagan gods of Israel's neighbors. But David is speaking to Israel concerning these idols. As if to say, people of God, your neighbor's idols need to bow down before the one true God. They are not worthy of your trust. Which makes us think of a time before David when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. And they placed it in the temple of their God, Dagon. And you remember what happened. They come back in the morning and Dagon is on his face before the Ark. So they prop him back up again. Interesting that you would prop up a God. They prop him back up again and 
come back the next day and he's back on his face again with his head broken off and his hands broken off. The gods of the nations cannot stand before Yahweh. And so David in calling these to fall down and worship is calling Israel to worship. The people were tempted to worship idols and David speaks to their idolatry. Why turn to idols? Look, ascribe, see the majesty and power of God. And in hearing this, I wonder what it is for us. What are the gods of our neighbors? What are we tempted to look to and trust in? What do we think brings us safety and security? How has, has God been knocking down your idols? Yes, we don't see too many people cutting down a tree and carving an image out of a piece of wood and bowing down to it. Not in Medford anyway. Maybe in some parts of Oregon that might be true. But wouldn't we say that an idol in general is anything that we give an ultimate value? A value that should only belong to God. So an idol is not necessarily something that is intrinsically sinful, but it becomes sinful when we we make too much of it. If you say, I must have chocolate, and if I can't have chocolate, then life is just not worth living, then obviously chocolate is your idol. And of course, this is a really lame illustration Pretty safe example, isn't it? It could be that your idol is a person, a child or spouse, actual or desired. It can be something very good, even a a gift of God. But when we elevate it above its God-given value, placing the person or thing or scenario where only God belongs Now it's an idol. Our country is something good. It's a great blessing of God, something worth defending. But if we lose our freedoms, is our hope destroyed? And this forces the question, is it in God we trust? If all of the good things that you hope in and fight for are taken by the storm, is God still there? Is Jesus your Savior and Lord? Is He always with you? Does He love you and promise to care for you and give you an eternally wonderful existence? The storm is God. The storm is a display of His power against the things that we should never ascribe glory. Glory that God alone is due. And when we read verses 3 through 9, we see that God is like a tornado. On the afternoon of May 20th, 2013, a violent tornado tore through Moore, Oklahoma. Now, I know nothing of this kind of powerful storm. I grew up here in Metford, and I was never really afraid of the mascot, the black tornado, because I've never seen a tornado. I don't know what a tornado sounds like. 
I've never heard the terrifying sound of one. I've only heard, at times, the strong winds in our area, winds that used to make me very nervous about my rickety fence or tree limbs hanging over my roof. And that's the best that I can do, is to imagine what people describe or see the devastation on the news. And some of you, you have heard that sound. You've seen such power. You've witnessed such a thing, such terrifying power. And it's hard to imagine a tornado nearly one and a half miles wide that was on the ground for over 40 minutes and churned a 17-mile path through a suburb in Oklahoma City, flattening entire neighborhoods in minutes. And some estimated that this EF-5 tornado was up to 600 times more powerful than the atom bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And this is the description that David gives of God. And his purpose in doing so is that we might give God the glory due his name. Nothing but him is ultimately safe and secure. Only God is worthy of such fear. It makes me think of Moses who wanted to see the glory of God and he was kept safe in the cleft of the rock as God covered him and then passed by and removed his hand letting Moses see his back whatever that to see the only bit of God's glory that wouldn't destroy him. So here he is witnessing, experiencing unbelievable glory, weightiness, power, and yet safe in God's hand. I have no idea what that would be like, but I imagine it's something like being kept safe in the middle of a tornado. Secure in God and yet an incomprehensible display of power. And this is our God, our God who is to be feared and who is also our refuge and strength. David writes the 29th Psalm in a way that is very similar to ancient Canaanite poems, poems about their gods. For instance, Baal is often described as riding on the clouds and he's pictured with a lightning bolt in his hand. So David uses this Canaanite form of worship to show that the Lord is superior to their gods. David is turning their poetry against them. And one author describes it this way. The general storm image of battle has been subtly transformed into a taunt-like psalm. The praise of the Lord by virtue of being expressed in the language and imagery associated with the Canaanite weather god, Baal, uh, taunts the weak deity of the defeated foes, namely the Canaanites. Thus the poet has deliberately utilized Canaanite-type language and imagery in order to emphasize the Lord's strength and victory in contrast to the weakness of Baal. William Booth, who led the Salvation Army in the late 19th century, 
was known to take popular music of his day and rewrite it into a hymn. And concerning this, he said, it's like taking the enemy's guns and turning them against them. And this is what David does in this song. David is speaking in the form of Canaanite poetry. But he's speaking to Israel. And in verses 1 and 2, what is he calling them to do? Ascribe. Announce. Announce the glory and strength of Yahweh. Put it to voice in worship that the Lord is glorious. He is weighty. He is impressive. And we stand before Him with mouths open in awe of His power. These false gods wanted glory, but God says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. The storm is on the horizon. And David warns them to acknowledge that the Lord alone is impressive. Only He is important. Only He is weighty and glorious. Verse 2 says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And the visual for this is the splendor of a king in his royal robes. And when the Lord appears in power and glory, these pagan gods can only recognize his majesty and bow down in worship. And when Jesus comes again, we know the response. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Psalm 29 describes the power of God like a raging storm. And Charles Spurgeon wrote that this psalm is meant to express the glory of God as heard in the pealing thunder and seen in a tornado, its verses marching to the tune of thunderbolts. It's awesome. God reveals His majesty, power, and glory in the furious wind, pelting rain, blinding flashes of lightning, and deafening thunder of a violent tempest. And it's disturbing to think of God in this way. But the fact is, He is not a tame, safe God that we can lead around on a leash. He is not some weak, puny God. But in verse 3 we read that the God of glory thunders. Even today in our modern world, we fear the power of the storm. So in looking at this psalm, we need to see God's mighty power. If we look at the events of our day and our God is a puny God, then we will have puny faith. But if we see God as the mighty God that he is, then we will have mighty faith. Back to this idea of David using Canaanite poetry to taunt. When he refers to many waters or mighty waters, he's emphasizing the power of the sea. And when he says that God's voice thunders over these waters, he's declaring spiritual victory over the Canaanite gods. Because they saw this region of the sea as the battleground between Yom, the god of the sea and of chaos, and Baal, the god of fertility and thunderstorms. 
And David proclaims that Yahweh's display, his glory is over both of them. And his voice thunders in triumph over them. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Lebanon and Syrian in reference to Mount Hermon and Mount Syrian. These majestic mountains. And of course the the giant cedars of Lebanon were known throughout the ancient Near East as the most spectacular trees in the region. I just imagine giant redwood trees, even bigger. Solomon imported them to build his palace in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And even today, the Lebanese flag has the outline of a spreading cedar tree in the center. But these tall, majestic trees snap like twigs at the sound of God's voice. Now, I imagine some might hear this and think, okay, it's kind of interesting, but what does Canaanite poetry and a taunting psalm about a storm and trees have to do with me? Can't you give me some real-life application, Pastor Brian? And with this question in mind, I think of something that I heard years ago as I was listening to John Piper preach through, I think it was Romans, and he hit a point where he, he shared later that he decided to simply preach the glory and majesty of God and to give no practical application. And after many weeks of this, he heard about a family in his congregation that was in the midst of incredible suffering. If I remember right, their, one of their daughters was being molested, I think, from a family member. They were just devastated. And here they are sitting week after week hearing these sermons with no applications giving, just the glory of God. And we might imagine that what they needed was some practical application, but what they expressed to Pastor John was that this was the best remedy that they could possibly have. They needed to see the bigness of God, the glory of God. For when we see God for who he is, when we're overwhelmed with his greatness, then what we receive is what is mentioned at the end of the psalm. We receive strength and faith and peace. Faith and peace at the fact that he really is sovereign. That no matter how out of control things appear, he is big enough and he will do what is right. And this isn't to say that application is wrong, but sometimes our best remedy is to get our eyes on God who overshadows our troubles, overwhelms our troubles, and worship him in the splendor of holiness. The only application given in this psalm is to give God the praise he deserves in holy and reverent worship. And the outcome is a blessing of strengthened faith and peace. And I'm no John Piper, so I better give maybe some application. 
I can't preach with that kind of passion. Here's what I have in mind concerning all of the political upheaval. All of the division, not just in our country, but sadly, more concerning to me, uh, division that I see among Christians. With the state of our country being what it is, we should be concerned, but ultimately we should not be fearful. And this is why. This is why I've said over the last few weeks that our hope is not in Jesus plus our politics, but that our ultimate and only true hope is in Jesus, period. Ascribe to him glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And if we're absolutely overwhelmed by the events of the last few weeks, if our identity is so wrapped up into our country and our political view, so much so that we are utterly undone, and if this causes any of us to react with unloving, sarcastic attacks, then we need to stop and remember who we are and who we represent. We need to remember what God has prioritized, what he has called us to do. So if you want application, if you want something to do, here's my recommendation. Read, take some time, read, meditate on Romans 12, 9 through 21. Pray over it. Confess where you've not put your hope in God and where you may have taken matters or social media posts into your own hands. We need to remember who we are and what God commands of us. So let me quickly read this passage of Scripture, this reminder to us. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit serve the lord rejoice in hope be patient be patient be patient in tribulation be constant in prayer contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep live in harmony with one another do not be haughty But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It seems like today more than ever that it's hard to know what to do. It's more difficult than ever to discern who is telling us the truth. And we need to be careful with our opinions and our conclusions. And if we do not exemplify the characteristics of this description of a Christian, if our 
conscience is pricked, we must not ignore the Holy Spirit. Do we trust that God sees all? That nothing will get by Him? That He'll deal with every sin, every careless word that is spoken? We need, we need discernment because we do need to act and trust. We need to speak the truth and leave it to God. That requires discernment, doesn't it? So yes, we should be, we should care. We should care about our world. When I say hope in Jesus, not plus politics, I'm not saying don't care about these things and don't be active. We need discernment. So be involved. But trust the Lord. We should be salt and light. But if our involvement makes us unloving, if our involvement mischaracterizes our Lord, then we might discern that we're maybe not the one to be in the lead. That we might best be the one to fight the spiritual battle that is most certainly going on through prayer. It's not our kingdom that we're after. An ideal society of morality is not our goal. It's God's kingdom. And He is after more than your best life now. He, he is after your heart. His purpose is not an outwardly moral people with no need of a Savior. He's after an inward transformation that produces fruit for the growth and glory of His kingdom. We need to be what God calls us to be, seeking His kingdom. And we need to understand that Satan works in a variety of ways. Sometimes in very obvious ways. And sometimes in ways where he actually gives us what we think is best. And it might look very nice and clean and moral. But is this really our goal? Here's what I have in mind. The, the late pastor and theologian Donald Gray Barnhouse speculated this. He said if Satan took over his city, Philadelphia, all of the bars would be closed. Pornography banished. And pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. Satan works in a lot of ways. And he can work to minimize the gospel in a variety of strategies. And as good and wonderful as it would be to live in a land that protected all human life, oh, wouldn't that be good? How much better to live in a land so transformed by the power of the gospel that there would be no need of a law. How much greater it would be if the church was the church, a witness to the world, loving one another to the point of gaining notice for that, a good reputation, a love within the church that moves out into our city, changing hearts and minds through the good news of Jesus. So with 
great discernment, we need to trust God and act in ways in which he calls us. It may be very public. It may be in law or politics. It may be a focus on parenting. It may be with creative and thoughtful social media posts, asking good questions. It may be standing in front of Planned Parenthood and lovingly sharing the gospel with someone blinded by Satan. It may be in deep and consistent prayer. But whatever it is, we need to rightly look to and live for Jesus. Our confidence is not in a political party. It is not in a movement or finite, fallible man. If the circumstances of our day have destroyed you, then let me suggest that your God is way too small. You need to see His glory in Psalm 29. So this morning, God's Word tells us to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And as we do, our faith will be strengthened. And as we do, God will bless us with peace. For we will be assured that the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He is sovereign over what's going on. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. He's the king of kings, the ruler of all earthly presidents and governments. So let's look to him for our strength. Let's be confident in him. Let's seek Him for our peace of mind and heart in the midst of this flood. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Your Word directs us to worship You, to ascribe, to acknowledge Your greatness, Your glory, Your power, And that nothing compares to you. You are sovereign. You are the ruler of all earthly kings. And our hope and our confidence is in you. Forgive us for hoping in the idols of our day. Forgive us for the state of our nation. For the evil of abortion. For our lack of prayer. Our lack of love. Give us patience. Help us to bear with one another. Give us wisdom in speaking the truth and the realization that no argument will be won, no change of heart will occur without the work of your Holy Spirit, opening eyes, removing the deception of Satan. Make us humble, realizing that any truth that we hold to is only because of your spirit revealing it to us. So impress this truth upon us in our prayers that we seek after truth and communicate well, but that we pray for you to use it for your glory, for the building of your kingdom. Lord, we ascribe to you glory and strength. We ascribe the glory due your name praying in the great and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.